if we band together, get together, and then hit the road as peers, we can have a pretty wild and crazy adventure. So that's kind of, that's what we're about. Episode 311, The Wayfaring Band with Andrea Moore. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hi, friends. Thank you again for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast today. I have a really special show for you today with Andrea Moore. Andrea uh, grew up in Denver, Colorado. She is the executive director and co-founder of The Wayfaring Band. And what's cool about this, it sounds like the band would be like a music group or something. They love music, but it's not a music band. Let me read to you a description that she sent me, which is awesome. The Wayfaring Band is not a rock and roll band, but a band of travelers We create road trips and other travel and leadership opportunities serving adults who experience cognitive and developmental disabilities, as well as neurotypical leadership fellows. Over the course of a week on the road with the band, we focus on enhancing the social skills of all of our participants while developing practical skills for navigating difference. Our mission is to foster inclusion, interdependence, and genuine connection between diverse communities by crafting original, transformative adventures for a neurodiverse band of travelers. Our dream is to model our vision of inclusivity everywhere we travel, fundamentally altering the way that people experience difference. Wow. Andrea, that's <laughs> that's well said. A lot of big words in there. We're going to have to have you unpack that a little bit. Absolutely. All right. So as you said, we're not a rock and roll or a musical band. And that's the biggest thing that we try to impart at the very beginning. We know that our name makes it sound like we are a music band. And we do that a little bit by design. Um, Wayfaring means to travel and typically by foot. Now, we don't always walk. In fact, we very rarely travel by walking. Um, But it sort of uh, evokes this old-timey, kind of um, raw, low-to-the-ground style of travel uh, that feels really familiar and uh, nostalgic for our community. And we really love that, like Route 66, road stop attractions, gas station coffee, kind of that edgier, grittier style of travel is something that we're really in love with and passionate about. So a band, you know, band of people, it's like we talk about banding together, coming together, or you know, Chaucer, (laughs) we talk about, you know, bands of people roaming Europe. Um, But it's this idea of being interdependent. Mm. And that's the simplest version. It's like, it takes a village. We all have things that are great about us. We all have things that we need help with. We in our community call that special gifts and special needs. There's not just one group of people who has special needs. We all have them. Uh, And we all have special gifts. And so if we band together, get together, and then hit the road as peers, we can have a pretty wild and crazy adventure. So that's kind of, that's what we're about. Wow, that's really cool. It's such a unique angle. And I believe in in everything you just said makes so much sense. I mean, you take any group of people, you shove them together in one vehicle, and you, you send them out to essentially live together for a week or so. 
people get really friendly. They find out each other's weak points, strong points. They learn how to accommodate each other and encourage each other. And it's because they're kind of forced into a, a very real situation that, frankly, people tend to avoid in everyday life, right? Yeah. And I also think it's um, it is that's that immersion that you're describing that makes everything practical, urgent, immediate. Um, one of the challenges, I think, with a lot of the social learning that we do in our culture is that I think we put a lot of emphasis on on uh, what if, like, oh, how how might we build skills to do a job interview? Well, let's all sit around in a classroom and pretend that we're at a job interview and try and imagine how we might feel and how we might behave and how we could get better at it. Right. And the challenge with that style and that approach is that um, you know, in, in a neurodiverse community, meaning a community in which we're having different cognitive experiences. So somebody who experiences autism, it's much more challenging to sort of act as if, you know, it's, it, things are much more literal. And so it's easier to be like, just go on a job interview. <laughs> you know, we can't like pretend to be on a job interview. And so what's cool about being on the road is that it takes all of these ideas that we might have about how to connect or how to resolve conflict or how to play, and it forces us to put them into practice immediately in real time with real people and with real stakes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and highly impactful, highly effective, I would think. What are the goals? I mean, let's say that you you grab a group of people and you take them on a trip. Is the trip the goal? Are the people the goal? I mean, why, why are you doing it? Right. So um, there are a couple answers to that question. And again, like we already read all of sort of the higher the higher purpose language, um, but just to make it a little bit more relatable, you know, we're interested in people. And so we sort of break things down into the what and the how. And I think a lot of people hear about the Wayfaring Band and, you know, what what we're doing on the road and who we're working with. And they sort of gloss over it and assume that we make vacations and that we offer vacations for people who experience these disabilities. And that's not how we think of it internally. Internally, we think of it that we build community and we foster these connections. So we help people genuinely connect with other human beings. That's what we do. We work with people and we're interested in interpersonal communication and connection. So that's our what. Our how, the vehicle for how we accomplish that is travel. Mm. So we go on these trips and, you know, and we try and like build in these levels of adventure and kind of uh, intrigue and, you know, just wild escapades to some degree. But um, that's, that's just our means to accomplish what we feel like is the more important end, which is how do we get the skills internally to learn how to coexist in a global community where we are all massively different and learn how to get along. And so they're actually, I mean, one thing that I should make clear is that the Wayfaring Band actually works with several populations. So the primary population that we serve are is a, adults who experience cognitive and developmental disabilities. So this could be 
Um, and we say adults, most of our travelers are young adults, like in their 20s or early 30s, but we do have some older travelers as well, up into their 50s and 60s. Um, and we're open to older travelers than that. And then we also do serve some some teenagers. Uh, it sort of depends on the trip that we're offering, but most of our travelers are young adults. And the disabilities that they experience, it could, you know, it's a range of diagnoses. Uh, it could be something on the autism spectrum, could be Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, fragile X, developmental delays. It could be just a range of other cognitive or genetic differences. Um, we're really not interested in the medical model of disability. And so that would be very diagnosis heavy. Um, we don't employ nurses and doctors and therapists and things like that. It's much more the social model, which is about people and uh, our, our sort of personality needs and differences. So we get this kind of motley crew of individuals together from that community. And then we also have five, like, so a typical trip might have eight people with a disability, five trained staff members, which we call roadies, because of course, everybody thinks we're a rock and roll band. So we use a bunch of rock we and roll. We might as well. There you go. We might as well. Um, so we have our five roadies and these are people who are trained in emergency and behavioral management medication administration, personal care and assistance. So people who have the experience in the background to provide some extra assistance to our travelers who need that kind of support. And then we have a couple little, we have a, a few programs that are a little bit different. So we also invite up to two, usually about two, sometimes more, but two travelers per trip who are what we call neurotypical. And that's not a word that we invented. It's a it's a word that's being used at this time in our community to describe someone who does not have a diagnosed cognitive dis disability. Um, it's one of the words that people use because I know sometimes people are like, well, "What do I say about someone who doesn't have a disability? You know, are they normal?" Um, in our experience, <laughs> we're like, "What does normal even mean?" You know, right. I don't I don't know anyone who would like opt to be identified as normal. It sort of sounds like square, you know, or boring or, um, and maybe there are people who feel really comfortable with that. Certainly in the adventure travel community, I'm like, I don't know anybody who would want to be called normal. Uh, and it just doesn't feel accurate, but it is true that there is, a there are people who don't have these, who don't have diagnosed cognitive disabilities. And there is a typical way that the human brain and body develop. And so if your brain and your body develop in this typical way, you could be called neurotypical. So that that's to say that we have two people who don't have a disability who come on our trips and they're not helpers. They're not volunteers. They pay to travel with the Wayfaring Band and they pay the same rate that somebody with a disability would pay because the thing that they're getting is this adventure travel opportunity. So they're paying for their lodging, their meals, uh, the activities that we're doing. Um, they're paying for access to a curriculum. So while mm. we're on the road, we're diving deep into a professional development, uh, kind of a pool of, of information and a school of thought where every single day through activities and then discussion, the whole band is engaging in conversations and activities about difference. You know, what makes us different? How else are we different? The disability is not the only way in which we're different, right? We have religious differences, gender differences, orientation differences, uh, political differences. So there are all of these ways in which we're different. 
And the skills to bridge those gaps apply across, you know, no matter how we're different. And so those, that's kind of the content we're getting into, using disability as one example of difference, but to open up a door to explore difference as it relates to all of these other social issues. So we've got our travelers with disabilities. We call them our band members. We have our leadership fellows who are the neurotypical travelers who don't have a disability who come to do this curriculum. And then we have our roadies. And then finally, our 16th person in the band is an artist in residence. And the artist is the only person in the band who gets to come on full scholarship. And it's because they have to do something in exchange. So they come for free and they get to do our adventure. But in exchange, they have to create an ode to our adventure in whatever medium they work in. So they do the whole trip, they participate in the curriculum alongside all the other members of the band, and then after they go home and the trip is over, they have 90 days to reflect on their experience and then come up with something magical and creative to reflect on that. So we've had songs written about us, we've had uh, you know sketchbooks filled with portraits of members of the band, uh, we've had a web application, we've had journalists write articles about us, um, we had somebody recently build a, a terrarium <laughs> where all of the members of the band are represented by animals who are all coexisting. <laughs> I mean, it's really wild stuff, you know, um, but there are no rules. I mean, that's up to the artists. And so it's just one more way that we invite people to participate in our community and then reflect back uh, about their experience. Wow. There's a lot. I know. I just hit you with a lot of <laughs> different pieces. That's a lot. So <laughs> to help us to understand what the experience is, um, give us a, a brief summary. We can dive into some stories and stuff. I'm sure there are a, a tons of them, but just a brief description of a typical trip. What are you, what are you yeah. riding in? Where are you going? Absolutely. So we, we really try and offer a diverse variety of trips to appeal to diverse tastes, right? Because we're all different. Certainly our culture, as I said earlier, we emphasize a kind of an old school style of travel. Um, we're not really doing more touristy things. We, we like to think of ourselves more as like local. We're interested in local color and flavor and flair uh, more so than the traditional tourist style. So we, we tend to uh, gravitate more towards things that are a little bit off the beaten path. But we travel by all means. So we have taken, um, we've traveled by plane, train, automobile. Uh, we've been on boats. We, let's see, we've done a bus trip through five states. So we got 17 people on an old school bus. So not like a nice motor coach, but like an old school bus. And we went from Denver, Colorado, where we're based and drove down to Dodge City, Kansas, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, over through Crystal Bridges, Arkansas, uh, floated the Buffalo River in the rain, um, which right was such a beautiful highlight. Um, and then the flooding continued by the time we were up to Table Rock State Park in uh, Missouri. And, uh, you know, and then made it up to Kansas City before coming back across Kansas. And so that was an epic road trip, a lot of Route 66, a lot of outdoor activities, um, you know, Abilene, Kansas, and going to the Eisenhower Museum. And at the same time, we went to the Sand Creek Massacre site. And, you know, sort of we dive into cultural history uh, and more just local stories along the way. We have been um, to New England, right? So we've 
uh, we fly to Boston, did a couple days in the city, um, went out to Cape Cod, did some you know, pottery and activities in Falmouth, Cape Cod. And then we took the ferry over to Martha's Vineyard where we did World War II biplane rides over Chappaquiddick, you know, doing like loop-de-loops and barrel rolls and, wow. you know, really, really cool stuff with like that. Uh, and then we headed over to Vermont near Killington, um, spent a couple days in the high country in, uh, in the fall and really got that deep New England experience and, you know, went apple picking um, so we try and do create and really craft trips that are very place-based, um, really authentic and where we have opportunities to connect with people in the local community. And then at least once a year, we got to get out of here and leave the country. <laughs> so, wow. um, we do at least, we do one, one international trip a year. So we've been surfing in Mexico. Um, we did a week long trip on a 78 foot sailboat in the Bahamas, and we were snorkeling every single day, and we all slept on the deck under the stars. Uh, and then just this past summer, we went to London and the Scottish Highlands, um, all the way up to the Isle of Skye, to the very, very tip top of the Isle of Skye, and uh, had a pretty magical, fairy full <laughs> adventure um, in, in the British Isles. So we try and, you know, sometimes we'll do, you know, a weekend close to home, but our the main thing that we offer are these bigger week-long adventures um, by bus or by train or by flight. Wow, that's a lot. So how many trips a year do you do? <laughs> we actually just turned five. We have So we just had our fifth birthday. Um, so our first trip was in October of 2012, but we started the company in September. Um, and in that time, we just this past weekend got back from our 30th trip. So Typically we do, you know, in the early years we weren't doing quite as many, but now we're doing about seven adventures, big adventures per year. There are certainly companies who are on the road, uh, more frequently than we are. Um, we, I think our particular brand is that each of our trips is so, uh, curated really, you know, we really try and come up with these itineraries that are, um, very thoughtful and original and, so we do that about seven times a year and, uh, and then get the excitement of planning a whole new season. So, so far we've done 30 adventures and we haven't repeated one yet. Wow. So there may come a time <laughs> that we start to, you know, do throwback, <laughs> throwback trips. But, um, so far we're just, so far our list of things we want to do is still too long to start repeating trips. So, well, that's quite a few people. So how many people are on your typical trip? You listed a bunch. Yeah, so 16, usually, eight with a disability, five staff, two leadership fellows, and one artist. Um, that's what we've been doing this year. In the past, we've had a couple seasons where we did about 20. Um, and we found that when we were traveling with 20 people at a time, you know, group travel <laughs> is such a different beast than, um, you know, small, you know, single family travel or certainly individual travel. Oh, yeah. Um, but... We found that 20, while manageable and safe, we just felt like we were running for our lives all the time. <laughs> um, you know, just like always trying to be like, it's like as soon as you unload the bus, you know, you do the activity, it's like time to load the bus again. And the bathrooms takes, you know, forever. So this year we actually made the tough decision to get smaller in the hopes that we would get better. And so 
you know, and, and it was a tough decision because I think a lot of times, particularly in the social services, we have this misconception that bigger is always better, right? If I can serve more people, if, you know, we have this good thing, well, obviously we should duplicate it and triplicate it and, you know, and, and replicate it as much as we can so that everybody can have a piece of it. And I think a lot of times what ends up happening is we sacrifice the depth of experience and and the meaningful connection. And so to me, you know, and to our community, we're always asking the question, like, is bigger actually better? And especially for our community of people with cognitive and developmental disabilities, like, what is it really about? Is it about going on more trips, going to, you know, further destinations? And what we find is that it's not like it's about having more relationships right? and or deeper relationships or a relationship that, you know, for us, a win sometimes is defined by if somebody who experiences autism, for example, who struggles to connect socially, who doesn't have a lot of friends or socialization opportunities outside of their immediate family. If somebody comes on a trip with us and meets another traveler and then they go hang out with that traveler at some point outside of the constraints of our program, then that's a win, right? Mm. So that's what we're trying to do. It's like, to, to us, it's like you go on a trip and you have this amazing adventure, of course, but it's like, those are forever bonds, right? The kind, like you were saying, you throw everybody into a car and you know, you get close to people really, really quickly, but so what? if it doesn't last, right? So I mean, we're always trying to get into that. What's the sweet spot? And so right now we're really enjoying uh, the number 16. We're feeling like the number 16 is feeling really sweet to us in terms of how many people we can serve at a time. Um, and we're finding that a lot of those travelers, by the way, are repeat, right? So we have people come on multiple trips with us over the course of a year or several years. And then there are some people who just dip in once, right? We have leadership fellows who come and you know, maybe they do the program once and then they kind of go back to their life changed. And, you know, so we're open to both. Like we definitely welcome repeat travelers. And uh, if somebody just wants to give us a try once, then we're into that as well. Hey, have you stopped by Patreon or our ASP member deals site? You could help keep the Adventure Sports Podcast going strong by becoming a sponsor or a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast or members.adventuresportspodcast.com to become a member. Don't forget to join our Facebook group so you can be in touch with us and the rest of the listeners. Thanks for listening, guys. Fall is the best time to start thinking snow, and Bentgate Mountaineering is ready to help you get prepared for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and splitboarding gear. Brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Never Summer, Jones, and BCA. And you need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags, and they are ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. You can also rent skis, boots, splitboards, beacons, shovels, and probes at Bentgate. What's more, they host free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Stop by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to check out your new gear as well as to get updates on all of their events.
Well, we originally heard about the Wayfaring Band from Scott Pierce. Right. And our yeah. listeners may recall that they were recently on Scott Pierce and Joe Roxy of Vegan Lloyd. We were laughing about the number of hyphens in her name. Oh, yeah. She's famous for it. <laughs> but, um, Scott and Joe Roxy uh, are on your board now, right? They are. And, you know, <laughs> every nonprofit should be so lucky as to have two fabulous Australian board members <laughs> who are also world travelers. Um, it's funny because in many ways, you know, we are a nonprofit. The Wayfaring Band is a, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. And so, you know, to some degree, we operate like any other nonprofit. You know, we we fundraise, we um, we have a board of directors who technically is is responsible for the leadership of our organization. You know, as executive director, even though, of course, I co-founded the company, um, you know, now I serve at their pleasure now that we're a nonprofit, right? So, but in many ways, we're also really different. And one of the ways in which I feel like we're different is that we value you know, for the Wayfaring Band, of course, we looked for people to be on our board who were seasoned in the disability community, who had partners there, who were parents of people with disabilities, people who experienced disabilities themselves. So we have a board member who experiences Down syndrome, another who experiences autism. Um, you know, we try and pull from diverse communities. But for us, because we do adventure travel, it was critical that we had people who have that experience. And Scott and Joe uh, you know, I mean, you've talked to them, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but like it was exciting and like, and it, it came about, of course, because originally we had asked Scott, um, after meeting him, you know, we had asked him to join as our artist in residence on the New Mexico balloon fiesta tour. So Scott joined us in the context of an artist first, and we did a bus trip down to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that was during a time when I think we did have 20 people in the band and we went to the New Mexico Balloon Fiesta, and we got up twice in a row for Dawn Patrol, which was like a 3 a.m. wake up because you need to be out in the field, you know, way before sunrise. Wow. But one day we just watched the launch, and then the next day we actually flew ourselves, which was an incredible experience. It was the first time I'd ever been in a hot air balloon as well. So, um, But Scott joined us for that trip as the artist, and then later Scott and Joe Roxy hosted us when we did our Mexican safari trip where um, they actually taught, we, we went down with a couple band members to Sayulita, Mexico, where they were living and uh, learned to surf with Scott and Joe as our trusty guides. So after that, you know, their passion was so evident. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm always, uh, I'm of the social services uh, school of thought that we follow the people. So, <laughs> um, you know, there's a, from Good to Great by Jim Collins uh, is an amazing book that, you know, when I was getting started in this work was really helpful to me. So Jim Collins wrote a book for the corporate sector called From Good to Great, and then he adapted it for the social sector. And it's called From Good to Great, I think, just for the social sector. But it's a smaller, it's like, you know, quick, quick read. But one of the things that I read in that book that really impacted me is it was like a lot of people worry about if you have an organization and your organization is the bus, a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying about where's the bus going and are we on the right road and do we need to turn here and what's the destination? What's the destination? And he said that sometimes in the social sector, it's more helpful to forget about where the bus is going and instead think about who is on the bus, right. who's riding, you know, who do we have on our team? And if we have all the right people on our team, 
we actually don't need to worry about where we're going because we're going to go somewhere needed, uh, important, necessary, meaningful, and and relevant to the to our community. And that really marked me because I I guess I've just that's always been my experience is that anything worth doing in the world is too big for any one of us to manage alone. But if we band together with like-minded individuals and people with other resources and skills and we get them all together, then we're going to do something great, you know? And so Scott and Joe Roxy are just, you know, they're an example of like, when we met, we knew we were like, I don't care where we go, but we need to be on the same bus. Um, And so that it was more of a gut thing of, of asking them to join the board and, and just making sure that, you know, we want people with that kind of creative thinking and, revolutionary thinking for a new generation about friendship and about friendship across difference, across culture, distance, um, all of those things. You know, Andrea, I think it might be fun to share a little bit about how all that came around with Scott and Joe Roxy. And the reason is because I've been asserting on the show for years now that when you get plugged into some adventure, that it impacts you in ways you would never expect. And many people that really kind of develop a, a, a real passion for an adventure sport of some sort, they end up giving back again to society mm-hmm. somehow. And I've, we've seen it over and over and over again with our guests. And I think it's so cool. So Scott and Joe Roxy, go back a few shows and listen, everybody, if you haven't heard it yet. But they uh, were from Australia, came to the United States, decided that they would bike across the U.S. to figure out where they wanted to live because they were going to stay here. And they ended up being here for five years, I guess. But on this bike trip, they stayed in your house. That's right. <laughs> and it's, well, you had a, was it an Airbnb or a warm That's shower right. or a... Yeah, <laughs> hopefully both. Um, I, I had just then started Airbnb. Um, by the way, that was in, I think they said 2012, which means it was before the Wayfaring Band even existed. Wow. Um, but I, they were my second guests I had ever had in my guest room when Airbnb was pretty new. And at that time, the Airbnb culture was a little bit different than it is today. It was, uh, it was very raw. I mean, people thought I was crazy. You know, they're like, Oh my God, why would you let strangers come into your house? Um, but I think those of us who don't think it's crazy, we get it right. It's like, Oh, well, you know, who cares if somebody wants to go through all my personal things, like that's fine. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm interested in meeting people who are traveling. I'm, I'm interested in other people who live that way. Cause I live that way. I'm interested in exploring the world and, and I'd like to connect with locals while I'm doing it. And so that community was very seamless for me to join. And in those days, a lot of the people who were using Airbnb were very like-minded. I mean, we were all, global travelers, uh, all really open-hearted and interested in hospitality and community and things like that. And so again, Scott and Joe Roxy were the second people I'd ever hosted. Um, they came in, they were going to stay, I think for maybe a few days. And then they just realized that they were wiped out, um, probably from the Wyoming part of their bike ride (laughs) and all the wind, I think they mentioned. Um, but so they just decided to take it easy. And I think they stayed a week. Uh, and you know, Look, it's not easy to make friends as a grown-up, right? It's not easy oh, yeah. to, and and not as a kid either. But I think the circumstances that make it easier to build community are school, work, uh, you know, a sports team, or some other extracurricular activity. But like, once we're a little bit older and more established in our routines, it's it's hard to just 
it's hard, you know, I don't always identify that I have that need. And then to meet somebody else and realize like, we didn't think we needed more friends, but it just kind of, we clicked, right. We clicked in terms of our values and our experiences and humor and things like that. But it didn't, you know, we didn't become close friends in a week. I mean, there's a risk there. It's like, we had a great time, made good connection, but then they ended up in Los Angeles it was the next time that I went to LA and I was like, Oh gosh, I should hang out with those, those cool people who stayed at my house. But I remember I was nervous, you know, I was nervous to reach out to them again and be like, is this weird? Cause I had tons of friends in LA already. And so I was like, do I need to like hang out with these people that I barely know when I'm, my schedule's already become kind of full, but there was this, uh, thread. And I think it's kind of what you're talking about, about like when you have a sense that there's something more important uh, maybe, I don't know if it's, you know, destiny or, (laughs) um, a purpose or something, but there was this, this sense of, I need to pull this thread. And Mm. I reached out to them and, and they also took the risk and they were like, yeah, let's have dinner. And after that dinner in LA, I was like, we did it. We made the jump right from really, really having a great connection with someone once to trying to do the slow and sometimes clumsy work of actually building a relationship, which is not easy again. And so like for us, you know, just to link it back to the wafering band, it's like when we're on the road, you know, it's so easy to kind of have these magical connections in the context of a beautiful national park or a great, you know, when you're on a fishing boat and a pod of whales surfaces all around us, right? It's amazing. You know, it's easy to be like, oh my God, I'll never forget that moment. But the hard work is like, what about when that's over, when the trip is over, when we go back to whatever that routine is, like, how do we do that clunky work of reaching out and being like, hi, do you want to hang out? (laughs) It's like, that's hard. That's hard. And so, um, but I think it also has given me courage, you know, because I don't want to, I don't want to exist in a vacuum and I want to do good work, but I want to do good work in good community. And and there are days when I honestly don't want to do good work, right? There are days I want to watch Netflix. There are days that I want to check out and I don't want to answer my phone. And I, you know, I don't want to feel a burden of like having to be a good person or, you know, all of these stories that I carry and, and that's real, you know, and everyone I know experiences some level of in the field, we kind of, you know, a lot of people in social services, they call it compassion fatigue. Oh, sure. Where, you know, we burn out and it's just like, oh, I don't want to be nice today. Um, But the cool thing about community is that we can be human. If we're a part of a human community, we can lean on each other for that. And, you know, so that to me is, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for my relationship with, with Scott and, and Joe Roxy and, you know, and, a lot of the other people that, that we've met in kind because of that similar connection. Mm, it is so cool. You know, we, we talk a lot on the Adventure Sports podcast about community. And the reason that we do that is because, like you just said, it's hard, especially as grownups, to, to make those friendships. But when you have a common interest and people come together to do it, and then they meet each other, and then it's a repeat again because they do it again some other time, and it builds that community. And I think it's so cool that the community that you're building is around this wayfaring band. It's around taking these trips. And I just can't imagine all the amazing, wonderful people that you've connected with and continue to connect with because you're stepping out to do this. Really cool. It's such a novel idea. I've never heard of anything like this before. I appreciate that. You know, when, um, 
the four of us who came up with the idea, it was funny. We all met at this amazing camp called Adams Camp, which is based in Colorado originally, although now they have locations in, in other places around the country and around the globe. But, you know, the model for them was, you know, working with kids and families who have cognitive and developmental disabilities and providing therapy and social and recreational opportunities for, for these folks. And so we, and then the kids got older and they had an adventure camp. And so the four of us who founded the Wayfaring Band, we all met working as counselors at this camp. And one of the things that we kept hearing from the community, uh, you know, was like the parents in particular was, my kid is getting older. My kid is getting older. Like what's after camp? Mm. What happens next? And in the disability world, there is a huge cliff when a person who has a diagnosed disability turns 21, they finish what's called transition, which is from 18 to 21. So it's sort of like a post high school, pre the rest of your life period. Um, where you're still on receiving state services. And then at 21, you transition to adult services, but everything changes. Uh, your case manager changes, the funding streams change, the waivers that manage your funding and your opportunities change. And and the parents that have spent all this time learning the drill have to learn a completely new game. And so what we find is that, you know, 21 to like 24 a lot of these folks who are spending time now, they're out of school, they no longer have that structure and that social structure, and they're spending time more and more kind of in the basement, right? Or mm. like like watching the same videos over and over again, or just hanging out with family. And all of a sudden, it's this panic of like, oh God, what is the rest of my kid's life going to look like? Um, and then there was, we try and come in right around there and make this effort of like, okay, well, what worked for us? Like when we were in that position in life, what did we want? Road trip. I mean, right. Road trip. Exactly. Like blow off your parents, right? We want to blow up our parents and hit the road. And, you know, and so it's like, obviously some, some of us need extra support in order to do that. We can't just blow off our primary caregiver if we're truly dependent on them to get our needs met. So we have to have other people come in who can meet those same needs, the physical needs so that the social needs, you know, they shift and they change as we get older. But like, you know, let's not lie. Travel is a privilege. And there is a massive financial barrier as well as so it's not just, you know, oh, serving people with these cognitive disabilities. It's also like, what about affordability? Right. And so one of the things that we try and do in our community, and it's tough because our trips are not cheap. And we're constantly trying to build and grow in that direction of like, what other resources, you know, what grants we're just beginning that process of, of trying to get some of these other resources in place. We have an aggressive scholarship pool, but, you know, thinking about what are some of the other barriers and, and not everybody values travel as well, right? There, there are different cultures and communities where the idea of foraging alone, that isn't wide, that's not universally held in all communities. Um, so when we're in the space of trying to figure out how to, like you said, make community connections and equip people with the tools to just make friends and keep those friends We've had, we found that it isn't just about disability. We've had to learn about race. We've had to learn about religion, about culture. We've had to understand, like, how do different cultural communities view community? And if we're going to serve a a diverse group of community members, what adaptations and modifications do we need to be making so that we can do that uh, in a, a tuned way? And, and and be really receptive to the needs of multiple communities. 
Um, and we're still learning about that. I mean, 100%, that is something that we feel we're constantly in a learning space around trying to figure out how to serve people across multiple platforms. Very cool. You know, Andrea, I have to kind of highlight the vibe I'm getting out of this because it's meaningful to me anyway. The Adventure Sports Podcast, sometimes we're talking about a specific type of sport, whether it's rock climbing or motorcycling or whatever. And sometimes we're talking about adventure travel, right? And that means you're going to places in a unique way and having a life experience. But you guys are doing the adventure travel, but more than that, you know, most of what we talk about on our show is about how the outward adventure impacts the inward person. Mm. But mm-hmm. what you're saying is you guys are actually conducting the inward adventure. That's that's a great way you to see what it. I'm saying? Uh, you oh, have yeah. the outward adventure with the travel, but you're really the adventure that you're on is on it's on what's going on the inside with a very diverse population of people. And Kurt, in the same way that like, let's say you're talking about rock climbing and there's all these things to learn. It's like, oh, how do you belay and what are the appropriate ways to tie in? And, you know, how can I stay safe and have this risk and still feel like it was a positive adventure? That's exactly our business in the social sphere. Mm. So to us, it's like, how do I come to connect with somebody who may have a totally different background than I do? Um, who may think so differently than I do, who has different needs, you know, an adult who may need support with toileting and showering and personal care, or somebody who's, you know, I have questions about their gender identity or their racial identity or, you know, all of these ways in which difference is expressed. And instead of, you know, there are times when it's fulfilling and wonderful and amazing to sort of retreat into our tribes and be like, man, I like this, and so do you, and we have that in common, and it feels good, and let's hang out in that space for a while. But the adventure of stepping out of that space and taking that risk to extend across that gap of difference and learn how to not panic, how to not immediately greet difference with fear and suspicion, but instead with curiosity and a sense of excitement, to us, that's exactly what the Wayfaring Van is hoping to achieve. I think, mm. you know, our vision statement, and, and we read this at the very beginning, but it might, it might have more context now, right? But, you know, our dream is to model this vision that we have for inclusivity, right? Like, this is what the world can look like. We're all different. We're all weird. We're all, you know, a band of carnies and, and we're all flying our different freak flags in a way. But together, we can do these things together and we can band together. And so by modeling that vision out in the world, in public, not in a a classroom where it's for pretend, right? And it's like, what would happen if? No, we're in the world. We're out in public. And by modeling that to the general public, our hope is that we can fundamentally alter the way that people experience difference. Right. We hope that people will experience the Wayfaring Band out in the community and be like, you know what? I don't need to usher my children away when I see someone with Down syndrome because I think that that person needs more space. I don't need to create distance, thinking I'm being polite, but really isolating that individual from community. Hey, if you haven't checked out our Facebook group yet, why not come and join us? People are on there having good conversation about things they've done all summer and things they're still looking to do. There's some good tips and tricks for people wanting to get into bikepacking. So we want to see you there. So click on Facebook and come join us. 
have a, a few thousand of our closest friends are listening in right now, Andrea. <laughs> and I have found... Intimate space. <laughs> yep, you bet. I have found that adventure sports loving people are generally really good people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're, they're people that care about the world in a bigger way than just self. And it's funny because some people might say, well, if you're spending all your time and your energy on an adventure sport, isn't that just self-centered? But the reality is I've found it's not. It's not. It's community-centered and it reaches out. But here's where I want to go with this. A few thousand of our closest friends are listening in, and they all have varying degrees of experience in uh, embracing and working with and in being in community with people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be really raw about this. A lot of people kind of steer a while around the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. sad, but they're they're like, I don't know what to do. It's not that right. they're that they're bad people. They just they don't know what to do. So you have the experience. You're the expert right now on what to do. <laughs> so tell tell our closest few thousand sure. friends out there. You know how can I be real with real people? Oh yeah, look this the most. Um, I'm so glad you said so many things that I'm excited to talk about. The first is it's really important for me to let everybody know I have a theater degree. Okay. And (laughs) I say this because I think there's this perception sometimes, and I know I had it. I had this perception too, because growing up, I didn't know anybody who experienced a disability. I went to schools and I was in classrooms that were totally segregated. Um, the school systems that I was a part of had separate trailers and, you know, the special education area was in the basement or whatever, like in a different wing of the, of the high school. So there was a lot of separation. I was 22 when my mom's best friend called my mom and my mom's best friend at the time was working as the program director for Adams camp. And she said to my mom, Hey, I've had a counselor drop out last minute at this summer camp. Is your daughter available on Monday? And my mom said, do you want to go work at this camp? You know, and at the time, the language that they used was for kids with special needs. Do you want to go work at this camp for kids with special needs on Monday? And I said, don't you need like some sort of a skill set for that? Because I totally felt the same way that you're saying that most, that many people who identify as neurotypical feel, which is that I don't know how to do that. Whatever that is, I don't know how to do it. And I assume that there's some magical skill set that you have to either go to college to learn or, you know, you have to have a sibling or you need some sort of experience in order to do that. And my mom's friend said, you're a theater major. You'll be fine. Mm. And I was like, if you say so. So I went, you know, with with no, quote, training. And I think, you know, that was then, that was when I was 22 and, you know, it was a long time ago now. And, but after spending many years now building some experience, I think the principle is still the same, which is there is no human on this planet who is an expert at being a person. That is not a real thing. Right. No one of us has any more, we all got here with the same amount of information and we all have access to the same amount of information. You know, I think there's a, we may sort of foster a willingness, uh, an openness, a curiosity. Those are things that like, if we feel that in our heart, we can certainly encourage that and draw that out of ourselves. Um, 
but I, I want to say that out loud because it's like, you don't have to be a therapist. You don't have to be a doctor or a nurse. I mean, that's very medical too, which is just one tiny piece of a human being's experience. And so I guess I want to, and also our culture is really changing very rapidly in terms of how we socialize around disability. So, you know, it wasn't more than about a generation and a half ago that a lot of people who experienced disabilities, both physical and cognitive, were institutionalized completely, right? So people above a certain age will have no experience at all because we just never saw those people in the world. And that has really shifted. So in the last generation, we've seen a move away from institutionalization into the homes, which is a really positive move, but it implies a lot of things that are not necessarily true. It implies that uh, the home is stable, right? That the home has support, that the home, you know, is is a loving home and all these other things. But of course, families are all different, right? So just because someone keeps their kid at home doesn't mean that they're any more equipped than anyone else. I mean, over, I mean, I don't know if there's even an, you know, but when when a parent has a child, you know, they didn't sign up necessarily to say, oh, I, I want, I'm going to take on this challenge, right? And so, and, and just, you know, this idea of like having a healthy baby. I mean, it's so, there's so much, and I, I know we're going to, we can't get into all of it today. <laughs> there's so much to, there's so much to discuss here, but there is this idea that, um, that it's scary to have a child that thinks differently, that develops differently, um, who needs things that, that we ourselves don't know how to provide immediately. But the fact is, is that it is only an illusion that tells us that we have that information for other children. Right. Right. Every single one of us is a mystery to every single other person. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and in fact, like the, the tools are the same. And so what, I mean, just on very brass tacks, like practical level, um, some, some best practices that we use. So we kind of have like a, a six part process for connecting with people all right. So we, we sort of offer this and this is about anyone, right? Any human being, if you want to connect with a human being, it's pretty simple. The first thing is you have to choose to reach out. So, and I, and that's a separate number because sometimes I think people realize they, they have this idea that it's somebody else's responsibility or, you know, they don't realize that it's like, we have to make a choice. We have to say, I am going to open my heart, right? That connection starts with intention. Mm. So the first thing we have to do is be like, you know what? I'm going to try. I'm going to try, whatever that means. And then the second one, this is so hard, Kurt. Okay, this is the most difficult one. Smile and say hi. <laughs> and it's like, Are we dating? I, is this I dating mean, advice? <laughs> Let's see. It's smile. not any different. You know, it's smile and say hello. And say, so or, first I'm, I am... <laughs> I'm, Make the choice. It starts with intention. I'm going to choose right. to reach out. I'm going to smile and say hi. You're gonna, you know, or you can nod or wave, right? Because not everybody communicates verbally, right? Right. Not everybody, you know, not everybody sees, right? Not everybody uses eyes and, and like with vision and things like that. So just sort of this idea of like, oh, like, well, how do I do it if if somebody, you know, is is deaf and I know that they're deaf and they're signing and I want to say hi, I want to connect, but I don't know sign language. Okay, I mean, wave, you know. Don't overcomplicate it. Yeah, grab a sheet of paper. Right? They, they That's right. <laughs> people sure, read. Right. <laughs> right. So the next step is ask some questions, you know, mm. and remember to listen to the answers. We're still so, dating, I can tell. This is how dating. it works. This is speed dating. It is. It's just like if you want to get to know another human being, you know, and it's okay. Like to some degree, I think people are so afraid of like, 
but I can't ask somebody like why they're in a wheelchair. Okay. You know, like there are a lot of things about that person that have nothing to do with being in a wheelchair. Like ask them how they feel about the weather, ask them what they think about the, you know, the football game the night before, ask them, you know, where they got their shirt. You know what I mean? There are a lot of things that you may be curious about the wheelchair, but in fact, it might be none of your business, right? Just like, you know, if somebody were able to see the inside of your heart and you're grieving the loss of a partner, you know, you may not want a perfect stranger to ask you, oh, tell me about your, your, the, the father that you just lost, right? I mean, mm. it's just, it's, there's this expectation that like, because we can see a difference that it's everybody's business. Um, that's not necessarily true, right? It's, it's personal. Now that doesn't also necessarily mean that we have to pretend it's not there. Um, I think I have a friend, a really good friend of mine experiences muscular dystrophy and he wears braces on the lower part of his legs. And in the summertime, he often wears shorts and his braces are visible. And he always says that he 99% of the time would prefer that somebody just say, Hey man, tell me about your braces. You know? And he says, cause children always do right. Children will always ask, what's the story with your braces and adults just sort of pretend like they don't see it because they're socialized to believe that that's polite. Um, you know, but everybody has to find their own vibe. There is no, I, I know people want there to be a right way, but there isn't one. We're all different, right? And, and different individuals want different things. So I, to me, I'm just like, be polite, be kind, smile, ask questions. Um, number four is celebrate similarities and differences. They're both cool, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, I mean, whatever we have in common, that's cool. Whatever makes us different, that's cool too. Like they're both worth, they're both worth celebrating and we can be curious about both of those things. Um, and then in the Wayfaring Band, we make a big deal about this because one of the problems with charity is that it's, it's like a pyramid, right? It's top down. There's this, this idea that some people are here to help and other people need a lot of help. And man, that is flawed, that is flawed because the fact is, is that we are interdependent and we all need help oh, yeah. and all have something to contribute. Right. And it's like, you're saying like people who are really excited about adventure travel, right. That in your experience, you found that those people tend to be very generous and community driven. And, you know, I think we all do best when we have something that makes us really, really excited and then something that we can then receive and be in community about. And so for us, one of the things that we recommend is ask for help and offer help. And you can always ask. Not everybody needs help just because you think they do. So is that number five? Ask. That's number five. Ask for and offer help. <laughs> that we all need each other. And then number six is the coolest. And I've got a good story for you on this one. But number six is get creative. So we're living in a time where it is, I, I don't know, on the one hand, maybe it's more difficult too, just because we're more aware of difference because the world has gotten smaller. But we're living in a time in which we have more tools to connect than ever before in the history of humanity, right? We have technology, body language, there are other resources. You can go to Google and ask all of the crazy, embarrassing questions that you're afraid to ask a human being. And do, you know, you should, like go to Google, use the resource of Google and like- <laughs> It's there. All that, so you're like, I think it's rude. Like Google it, you know, it's like, that's what it's for. Go, go do your embarrassing questions in a platform that is private, you know, but getting creative. I mean, so I have a couple apps on my phone, you know, and as adventure travelers, for sure, I know a lot of like world travelers use these, but like you can get almost every single language app for free on your phone. 
right? There's a free version of, of almost every language. All of them, you know, a lot of the languages that are just the ones that you maybe are most likely to run into, you can get those apps on your phone for free. And it'll at least give you the top 10, right? Of like how to say hello, yes, no, please, thank you. That's actually enough to make the beginning of a connection with someone. Also, we have Google Translate is a free app that you can use. There are image apps that you can take, uh, you know, you can Google image search a word. So let's say I'm communicating when we're on the road a lot of times with people who experience autism, who maybe use their body to communicate instead of language. We might be like, oh, we're out to dinner. You know, what do you want to eat for dinner? And then I'll, I'll put in my phone hamburger and then I'll do a Google image search and then I'll do, okay, chicken sandwich, Google image search. And I'm saving these images as they pop up, French fries, whatever the choices. And then I can sit on my phone and show them to the, the traveler that I'm with. And I can just quickly scroll through. I'm like, do you want this scroll or this scroll? Right. And then they can use my phone scroll and they can point to the hamburger. And I'm like, great. So if this person doesn't read, okay, I've got a hamburger, a picture of a hamburger on my phone. Right. So that's number six. And that's it. Those are the six steps. So, you know what I mean? I'm like, I think we often overcomplicate this. We think that it's like, oh, I have to know all these things. I have to go back to school. I'm like, no, you don't smile, like choose to reach out, smile, (laughs) say hello, wave, make a connection. If you can ask some questions, listen to the answers, celebrate other humans and Mm. get creative. That's awesome. So for all you single people out there, you now know how to get dates (laughs) and you also know how to connect with people that might not be the same as you are from a different tribe. And it's okay. I guess I do just want to say like it, you know, for those people who are thinking like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to do like, you're not crazy. Like we have a a flaw in our culture. We separate each other according to these differences. And we do a really effective job to the point where we have this illusion that like these people are so othered by the cultural choices that we've made that we don't have the skills anymore. But that is, that's an illusion and that we don't have to participate in that. You know, the, you know, if you think of it as like fishing, you know, we don't have to pull the entire, uh, you know, I don't know if let's say I'm like metaphor crazed right now, but (laughs) let's say I'm like on one side of the Grand Canyon and you're on the other side of the Grand Canyon, which is maybe too big a canyon because I can't fish across it. But here's what I'm going to say. So I don't need to bring your side of the canyon all the way over to me. And I don't need to bring my side of the canyon all the way over to you in order to make a connection. I just need to cast a line. Oh, yeah. Right? I just need to cast a line. We start with casting a line. We cast another and another and another. And eventually there's a bridge. But we don't have to move all the mountains. We don't have to become the same. You know, we can stay different and still find a way to draw these connections. And the story that I want to tell you that is just too good not to say, I, you know, I was with my friend Jonathan. My friend Jonathan is... I think 38, maybe 39. He experiences Down syndrome. He's super independent. He, you know, for a while he was like living on his own. He rides his bike all over town. Um, you know, he has a job, a part-time job that he does. Uh, he communicates verbally. He can do, you know, he can write um, some things. And so he has a lot of skills and tools that he's using to connect all around town. And um, But we were my friend Robbie and my friend Jonathan and I were all out to dinner one night and we were at a Middle Eastern, like a Syrian restaurant. So we're at the Syrian restaurant and we're eating food 
And these women come in and they are holding a new baby. So it's two adult women and one of them is holding a new baby. And the women are in full hijab. So they're veiled, right? And they're wearing long dresses and they're speaking to each other. Um, and I, you know, I don't understand them. I presume that they're speaking in Arabic, but they, they go over and they sit in the corner and they're chatting. And I realize that they're maybe the wives of the men who are running the restaurant. Right. And so they're sort of sitting there sort of waiting for the restaurant to close and things like that. And Jonathan sees the baby and he gets out his own phone and he opens Google translate, which he has as an app on his phone. And he looks at me and he says, what language are they speaking? And I'm just sort of like a little stunned and taken aback because I'm just like, what is he about to do? And I, and, but he's like, all he's asked me is what language are they speaking? I said, probably Arabic. He gets in his phone and he gets into Google Translate and he knows how to do this. I'm not showing him anything. He writes in English and Arabic and then he hits the microphone on his phone and he talks into his phone and he says, how old is your baby? And he hits trans. Oh, so I should back up and just say, so first he says to them in English, how old is your baby? And they smile and they don't understand. Right. So they're just kind of like, Oh, hi, you know, like we're close enough to communicate, but he's like, how old is your baby? And they don't understand. And so he's like frustrated and that's why he gets out his phone. So then he says, what are they speaking? I say Arabic. He plugs it in. He hits the microphone. He says, how old is your baby? And he hits go. And his phone in Arabic says, how old is your baby? And these two women, I mean, they lit up laughing. I mean, they were like, oh, they just like their whole faces opened up. They're laughing hysterically. They're taken aback. They're just like looking at each other, looking at him. Their husbands are like, what's happening? They call them over. The husbands come over. They're laughing. They tell their husbands, you know, how old the baby is. And then the husbands speak English. And so the men start saying, oh, so-and-so. And so Jonathan has a complete conversation with these two couples. Robbie and I are just sitting there watching. Robbie's neurotypical as well. And he and I are just like kind of like on the outside of this. Basically, like I was getting my life, right? Because I was getting a full-blown education. Like mm. I thought that I, I thought that I was good at this. And <laughs> and Jonathan like handed it to me. And and I think what I learned from it, you know, so he had a whole conversation with them using his phone. And what I learned from it is like. I, I mean, our minds were blown on so many levels because I also know that the thing about Down syndrome is because it's a visible difference. One of the things that jo that Jonathan faces is that people don't give him a chance. Oh yeah, you know, because they make the assumption that he can't do something or he doesn't know, and it almost like worked. You know, what's kind of so special about the whole thing is like he didn't care that that might have been hard or that this idea of bridging the gap. And especially right now in this time with, with, you know, people who are from Syria and people, women who are Muslim, who are wearing, you know, who are fully veiled and in hijab. And like, there are so many visible differences between all of us. And he didn't care about any of that. He just wanted to talk about the baby. And that's an example of asking questions, right? And making those connections that has nothing to do with Down syndrome or Muslim Christian divide or feminism, like all of these things that like might've made that situation a little bit rife. It wasn't about any of that. It was about humanity and connection and something as simple as a new mom and a baby. And how many months old is your baby? Um, mm. I, you know, and it was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. You know, I think about it a lot, a you, lot. You know, I, I think that's so beautiful. It, the, the cultural divide that was bridged on so many different levels, but 
You know, what's really funny, Andrea, so many times when we have someone on the show that talks about adventure travel, and we've had a lot, people that have motorcycled around the planet, walked around the planet, biked around the planet, you know, it just, we've had people that tried to go around the planet in in 50 plus different modes of transportation, and whatever it is, adventure travel, they all, almost without exception, say, I thought it was about the trip, it was about (laughs) the people. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they're just like, wow, it, it was the people we met. That's what I remember, and that's what ended up being so special. And what you're telling us right now is that it is about the people. That's where the mm-hmm. adventure is, and why not, mm-hmm. why not take part in that, you know? And we can localize it so much more. I mean, look, I love, I, every year I try and go, I'm the kind of traveler that I'm like, oh my gosh, if I want to go so far away, but I want it to involve like a donkey, you know what I mean? I need (laughs) to go like even further than that. And, uh, and so I really, I really relate to that idea of like, oh, where are the corners of the earth that no one has even gone to yet? You know? And I, I struggle with that a lot of being like, oh, I wish I'd been born 200 years ago. And then being like, yeah, but you're a woman. Like that really isn't what you want, <laughs> you know? And like that tension, but it's like you say, the adventure is in the humanity, but also like some of the best parts about exploration and connection and this feeling of like being far away and having something that's so new and fresh and different. You know, we have to remember that like, if we can't take that, that, uh, the brightness and sort of the magic of those experiences and, and sort of the openness, I think a lot of us experience on the road, you know, and when we are having these risks and adventures, if to me, I'm like, let's find a way to carry a little bit of that back home into our daily lives and infuse the ordinariness of our daily lives with a little bit of that extraordinariness that comes from when we feel like we're on a trip mm. because, you know, like, is there a restaurant, is there an, an, a community um, of immigrants, right, in our own town? Is there a restaurant that's owned by by somebody who's from a different cultural background that I am? Can I go and, like, begin the process of, like I was talking about with Scott and Joe Roxy, like, the messy work, the clumsy work of trying to build community at home? Can I take some of what I have learned on the road and learn to apply it in my daily local life? Because I think at least the way that I understand the world and a lot of the global conflict that we're having right now and experiencing socially, that's what we need. You know, that we need more hospitality, more, more openness at home, more, more of the capacity to stand right next to somebody in line at the grocery store and dig for my kindness. You know, those are the kinds of skills that, you know, let me, let me find a way to connect the dots in between those, those brilliant adventures Mm. and, you know, and have those moments of connection much more frequently. And I, and I think, you know, the more that we do it, the more that we take the risk and and we try and that we just smile and wave, you know, (laughs) the, the easier it gets. Right. Well, that's a beautiful summary of of what you're all about, you know, with the Wayfaring Band. And I I think it's such a cool thing that you're up to. We've burned through our time. I hate to say that because I would like to go on and on. It's so much fun. No, I I can talk. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) But I love what the Wayfaring Band is doing. We would be amiss not to get the information out to the listeners on how they can uh, contribute, be a part, somehow learn more about what you're up to. So how can people find you? Well, there's a couple ways to get involved. Um, Our website is thewayfaringband.com. And, 
you know, and we also are on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter um, at the Wayfaring Band, or on Twitter, there's not enough room, so we're just Wayfaring Band on Twitter. But um, so you can follow us on social media, certainly. But you know, anybody can travel with the Wayfaring Band. Um, if you have a disability, we probably have a program for you and can learn to serve your needs. If you don't have a disability and you want to travel in the capacity of a, a leadership fellow, that's open. Our artist in residency program is currently invite only. But, uh, you know, if you're being driven by a monster of need and you need me to know that you're interested in that program, certainly feel, feel free to reach out to us and, you know, and let me know and we can kind of stay in contact about that. Um, so anybody can travel with us, any adult. Uh, we are based in Denver, but we accept travelers from anywhere. And then, you know, we're, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. And so another way to be a part of our story is to, you know, join our community of people who make recurring monthly donations or a one-time gift, right? And to, to say, you know what, I'm far away, and, but I love what you're doing, and I, and I think it's cool, and, and I want to contribute to the cause. You know, you can make a donation right on our website as well. And we're working really hard to make these types of experiences more accessible across differences of all kinds, including socioeconomic, right? And, and just to, to address some of those other root barriers uh, that keep people apart from, from each other and also apart from having experiences like this. So, um, but please join us, join the band. <laughs> we would love to have. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I just clicked on your donate now button. So if people go to thewayfaringband.com, there's a donate now button that you can click. But I have to ask, choose a donation level, 28, 54, 106. These are not even numbers. Where did these numbers come from? <laughs> you know what we found? Um, this is interesting, a little thing about human psychology. That was on a, that was like a, a hunch that I had that I was like, I think people are just clicking buttons. And I wonder what would happen if I just made people dig a little bit. So we changed all of our buttons to be a little bit above the typical numbers just to be like, you know, if somebody wants to do 25, they can, you can enter in your own amount. But we noticed that by having a button that's a 28, people pick 28 instead of 25. And, and what we're finding is like, we're a very grassroots organization. Like, you know, the vast, like our biggest donor is actually a collection of people under the age of 30 called the EPs which is like an internal program we run for emerging philanthropists. So these are young people <laughs> under the age of 30 and collectively they are our largest donor and they're, you know, and they give a monthly gift of at least $6 a month or more. So it's just kind of crazy. Like we just feel like people get so sleepy around philanthropy and we, I don't know, it's a new generation. It's a new, a new time. And we have, there's a new, uh, I feel like there's a, a movement around wanting to do good and, and have it matter. And we're just trying to like wake people up and shake people up and be like, Hey, you know, like it's not your parents' philanthropy anymore. Like <laughs> we've got to engage with the planet in a new way, in a present way that's, that's appropriate for now. Well, I so think it worked for me. A little nudge. <laughs> you know, I, I had to ask, right. It yeah. caught my attention. So I think that's hilarious. You're on I to something. I'm like, do people know, <laughs> do they see it? And, yeah. Well, and I encourage our listeners, if you want to get more information, please reach out to the Wayfaring Band. It's a, it's a really cool concept, very novel concept, and I know that this format makes huge impacts in people's lives. So I really like what it is. Well, I thank really you like so what much. It is. We appreciate it. <laughs> I like the humanity of it. 
Well, we're trying, you know, we, um, I, you know, I will just say, I mean, just to that point, Kurt, like, again, we're not trying to, um, we don't have all the answers. I think we have a lot of questions and what maybe makes us different from other people is, is we're a little bit more comfortable living in that discomfort of not knowing, not having the answers not trying to put people into neat little boxes. We're a little bit more comfortable with everybody just coming as they are. And our own special needs, each of us have been addressed a little bit more by being a part of this community. You know, so we come to get our own needs met as well. I mean, mutual aid is, is one of our, our core values. Mm. Um, so yeah, humanity is definitely the messiness, the kind of the authentic, edges and curves of that. I mean, that is, that's what we're trying. That is what we're trying to do and and to, to model. So. Well, thank you, Andrea, so much for modeling that for us today, for taking the time to share the story about what you guys are doing. So cool. But I know that it's not easy to carve a, a chunk out of your schedule. So we thank you for that. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, Kurt. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, you bet. And for all the listeners out there, I always say get out there and have some fun. I'm going to challenge you, though, to try some of those uh, inward adventures. Reach out and touch some lives today and see how much fun you can have doing that. Coming up on Monday's episode, Jerry Hall will be here to talk about his cycling trip from Alaska to Mexico. Until then, get out and have some fun.